Welcome to Q&A. So excited that you decided to join me at the moment. Doug's on his way. He'll be here shortly. And so if you have questions from the service today, I would really encourage you to text them in. The number is up on the screen. It's really an incredible opportunity to ask those questions, things that are stirring in your heart and your mind after the service. Um, so encouraged as we've been going through Ephesians, starting with who we are in Christ and then how to walk in Christ. And so today talking about new paths, we are new. We are a new creation. I love that we took that pause in the service to truly uh, proclaim that. Um, and what an incredible uh, reminder as I was thinking about that. I am new in Christ. I'm not the same anymore. And so Doug had mentioned uh, the verse 2 Peter 1.3. I'm not the same anymore. And the Lord has given me all that I need to do all that he has called me to do. And so thinking about in certain situations, certain relationships, um, I'm not the same anymore. Therefore, I can handle them differently. Um, I can handle them in a way that would be glorifying to the Lord, even when it's hard, um, even when I may not feel like it, uh, which is one of those last points there that was so challenging and encouraging that because we're not the same anymore, it's not just based on how we feel um, in dealing with situations. And so welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't feel like coming, but I did. Yay, I'm so glad you came. <laughs> and we have a handy dandy mini dresser ready to go. Oh, <laughs> cute. So the three drawer? Uh, uh, unfortunately, it's only a two drawer. I understand. You know, doll furniture. They don't there need as much space. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have the dresser. And so again, send in your questions. Um, we've got two to get us started. But if you have other questions or things pop in your mind, feel free. To send them in. Okay. We'll be ready to go. Um, so first one here. So, you know, we talked about renewing our mind and being in the Bible. So great question. Do you have a recommendation for where to start reading in the wow. Bible? That's awesome. Uh, yeah, where we start can make a huge difference in terms of how we keep going. So uh, especially if you're newer in your faith, it seems natural to start reading in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And, it seemed logical. Yeah, you go, well, beginning. I should start at the beginning of God. That's yeah. where I start every book. And it wouldn't be like the worst thing on the planet. It's just going to get really, really hard if you're new in your faith. As you get into Exodus and the Mosaic Law Lineage. and Leviticus, <laughs> and then you're going to go, oh, okay, well, so uh, I would not actually encourage you to start in Genesis, not because there's not great things in the Old Testament. I would encourage you to start in the New Testament and start, first of all, with the Gospel of John. And the reason I'd say start with the Gospel of John is because you and I were created to live in relationship with God as Jesus lived in relationship with his Father. And so read the Gospel of John, not as a history book, but read the Gospel of John in relation with this question in mind. How did Jesus live his life in relationship to the Father? Because that, as you'll discover as you get to the closer to the end of the book, he's going to go, that's how you live in relationship with me. So just start with that insider information and go, what do I see in the life of Jesus that teaches me how to live in my relationship with him? That's where I'd start. I'd start in the Gospel of John. Then, as you go through the Gospel of John, I would then say, after you've gone through a Gospel, go back and read what are called the epistles. They are simply letters to churches. 
The first one in the New Testament is the book of Romans. It's the most complete explanation of how the gospel changes a person. So it starts with our need for a Savior, then it goes to the provision of Christ, then it talks about how the provision of Christ deals with our slavery to sin, and then beginning in uh, chapter 8, well, there's more of that than it deals with. If you need to skip something, skip Romans 9, 10, and 11. Not because it's not good, it's just hard at the beginning. Go, what are we talking about? So skip 9, 10, and 11. Start in chapter 12, and chapter 12 then gives practical how to live out according to what chapters 1 through 8 teach you. So I'd either start in the Gospel of John, life of Jesus, the relationship with Jesus had with the Father, or the letter to the Romans, the most complete explanation of the gospel in the New Testament. Mm, that's a great encouragement to follow the life of Christ. Yes. It's, it's a great place to start. Uh, the gospels are easier to read because it's a story, and it's usually easier to read a story mm -hmm. than a teaching passage is what we think of. Mm. The harder thing, though, is then to go, okay, that's a great story. What's that mean for me? Like the personal application. Yes, the yeah. personal application. And so that's what I mean when I say it's an interesting story, the life of mm -hmm. Jesus, but don't read it just as a story. Mm -hmm. Read it as a way to understand how Jesus lived in relationship with his Father so that you would learn to live in your relationship with Jesus. Great. Yeah, I think that's okay. great encouragement. Um, next question here. Can you explain the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow? Huh. Yeah, um, it comes from a passage in 2 Corinthians where those two types of sorrow are laid, aside, laid side by side. It's um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Here, I'll just start reading verse 9. I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is leading to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness, this very thing, this godly sorrow is produced in you, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation. It goes on. So it's, it compares worldly sorrow leads to the death. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Here's the difference. Worldly sorrow is, I am sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that I'm going to have to pay the consequences for getting caught but I never change. And because I never change, worldly sorrow always leads to death. Godly sorrow is, I'm not sorry just because I got caught, or I'm not sorry because of the consequences. I'm sorry that I have not lived out who I am. Therefore, I'm going to change my mind about what I did, what I thought, how I reacted. I, repentance is a change of mind. Godly sorrow, there is sorrow. It's not that it's wrong to go, oh man, I am paying the consequences of it. Right. But if it stops that I'm just mad about the consequences, okay, I'll, you know, I'll pay my punishment. Mm -hmm. That's worldly sorrow. 
godly sorrow leads to repentance, a changing of mind, which will lead to a changing of behavior. So I hope that's clear. You always know the difference between worldly and godly sorrow in terms of what the sorrow leads to. Mm. Scripture says, worldly death, godly repentance. It's a good differentiation. Yep. Second Corinthians 7, if you want to read more yourself. Mm. Um, next question, how important and valuable is accountability as we allow the word to transform us? Practically speaking, what does accountability look like? Mm. Uh, accountability is super valuable in terms of encouragement in learning new paths. Uh, because old paths are what we described as familiar and comfortable and mm -hmm. easier, sometimes we need someone to help remind us <laughs> of what we said we, two things, what we said we wanted to do when mm -hmm. we were sane in our thinking, because oftentimes when we sin, we have, it's not that we don't know God, it's just we forget God. Not like, who's God, but we just push God out of our mind, we push truth out of our mind. What accountability does is it helps, in conjunction with Scripture, remind us of what we were thinking in our sane, clear moments. Right. And it encourages us to do what we wanted to do in those moments. Mm. It's a way of providing strength to the weary. The, the reality of accountability, and this is where I get nervous about it, accountability is not a guarantee. In the sense that you can have somebody who is holding you accountable and still walk in your old paths. Mm -hmm. Because we first deceive ourselves. And then if we don't want to change and we're embarrassed by our failure, we can very easily lie to ourselves and then lie to our accountability partner. So accountability is a great gift to the degree that there is honesty in it. One of the That's a good point. Um, so uh, what's it do? It helps me when I'm weak. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of truth that I need reminded when I have potentially lost my mind. It needs to remind me, no, you've been down this path before. The consequences are going to be far greater than what you're thinking right now. It reminds us of truth. It's like a partner to the scriptures in helping us remember. It's a practical, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, is to remind us of truth. The Holy Spirit and another person holding me accountable does that practically. It's Accountability is not the police. It's going to come whack you mm -hmm. uh, if you fail, but it requires honesty. And where, where I want to go with, uh, do we have another question? You're good. We've got time. Okay. First uh, John 1 says, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not 
in us. What has been very meaningful in that passage to me is the recognition that we think, oh man, if I'm going to walk in the light, I have to walk in perfection. Meaning that when I do sin, and we do sin, we do sin, we then, if we're walking in the light, want people to think we're walking in the light, then we have to lie about it. Hmm. And when we lie about our sin, then we miss the, the cleansing that this promises, and we miss the fellowship that this yes, promises. Because right. what it says is if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses from all sin. In other words, that fellowship is the overflow of our honesty with one another. And so I just want to come back. The reason I went there in the question of accountability is accountability as is good as the honesty is present. That's where the true fellowship comes with one another. So people start in accountability and it serves them as long as they do right. But then they fail and they think, well, I can't admit that I failed. And so then they move from honesty to lying. The accountability ceases to serve its purpose, and the fellowship isn't there. And now you're trapped because if we confess our sins, that's where we experience the cleansing and the fellowship restored. So, uh, yes, I encourage accountability as long as there's honesty. So if you have an accountability partner, you need to regularly go, Are you telling me the truth? Because we're wasting our time if we're not telling the truth to one another. Hmm. Truth check. Yes. Yeah. Look them in the eye. Look yourself in the heart and go, are we playing a game? Did did that which once was good and served a purpose, has it lost its purpose? Are we simply checking a box? I have an accountability partner. Hmm. So, yeah, I believe in accountability and the benefit of it as long as truth is being told. And there's great power in that vulnerability and that honesty in that relationship and seeing the Lord work. That's where fellowship happens when Mm -hmm. we acknowledge weakness and failure, which is true for all of us. Right. It's really a powerful opportunity. Um, Next question here. If we are to put aside our old self, how do we come to Christ just as we are? This seems contradictory. Great question. Uh, that, uh, that question reflects, and I say great, great question. If I fail to, make, to state this clearly, laying aside the old self is the practice of those who have been born again. It's how we live out our new relationship with Christ. It's not how we gain our relationship with right. Christ. Mm-hmm. So I don't come to God by laying aside my old self, cleaning myself up and making myself acceptable to him. I, could, I will never be in my own self acceptable to him. I will only be acceptable to him when I recognize and admit I am not, and I ask Jesus to make me righteous. So we don't come to God by laying aside the old self. We come to God by admitting our sin, Mm -hmm. and believing that Jesus paid for it, inviting him to be our Savior and our leader. Then, now, 
I'm new in Christ, and as because I'm new, I start living new, and I only live new by laying aside. So a difference between how we come to Christ and then how we live out that new relationship. Great question. Even if you're a believer and you are going, I'm not sure you made it clear, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question because we are not the same anymore. Right. So this is the process for those who, that's why the text says in verse 20, you learned Christ. This is the process for those who have come to Christ, not for how you come to Christ. Right. Clear differentiation there. Yeah. Great question. That's a great question. Well, thank you for all of the questions this morning. We're so grateful to have this time with you and hope you have an incredible day.